Yeah, I'm sorry. I, it might take me just a minute. Um, the song just kind of wrecked me. Um, just unbelievably beautiful. I mean, uh, Julia and the team just did a remarkable job. I, I hope, uh, hope it blessed you the way it blessed me. Well, we're starting a new series, and it's the most unusual series that I've ever done in all my life. And um, we're calling it The Thinker, and most of you are familiar with this, the statue um, by Rodin. And, of course, most of you are familiar with what it was that The Thinker was thinking about. I mean, it's pretty well known, right? You know, you don't know. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, well, of course, he was thinking about what in the heck did I do last night, and where are my clothes? <laughs> no, nobody knows. <laughs> It was supposed to be part of a wraparound that was going to go on a French museum. The museum was never built, and it just became kind of popular on its own. The guy that did it, uh, French artist uh, Auguste uh, Rodin. If you're from Frederick or Southeast Washington, you call him Rodin. You know? <laughs> uh, not to be confused with this Rodin uh, of an entirely different kind of fame. <laughs> but... Uh, we're going to take a very different approach in this series. We're going to ask ourselves the question, what if there were no Bible? I mean, what if we didn't possess a Bible at all, and all we had was our powers of observation and reasoning, and we looked at life with, you know, just objective eyes, what conclusions might we come out with concerning life? Now, it's a very different approach, and I don't want you, anybody in here to misunderstand me. I've been teaching the Bible for about 40 years or so, and I am more convinced that God's Word is trustworthy, uh, more convinced than ever before. I will teach it until my last breath. But I want to show you something in this series that uh, about three or four years ago, I don't know, God just kind of took me on this journey, and uh, it might even be longer ago than that. And I hope to do this. I hope that it will so strengthen your confidence your faith, your trust in Christ, in God's word, in God's truth, that you will, first of all, have a different kind of a walk with God, but also you will have a different kind of a confidence to dialogue with other people about spiritual matters. And for some of you, not for many of you probably, realistically, but for some of you, what my real secret hope is, I'm really hoping that some of you will learn a different way of thinking. It is a way of thinking that if you can embrace it, <clears throat> It will, I promise you, it will open up the depths of God's word and the depths of God's heart in a way that, I'm just going to say it, in a way that not many, in a way that not many experience it. It's a different way of thinking. And so that's my goals in this particular series. And to um, get us on this trail, uh, I'm going to take you back into the Wayback Machine, and for some of you, this will be a nostalgic but joyful venture. For some of you, not so much, but here we go. How many of you remember that, singing that old hymn? 
Yes, I do <laughs> remember it. Uh, for some of us, it's a very fond, nostalgic memory, and I'm not really, you know, knocking the hymn or anything like that. But I want you to think about the last word, because it says, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives where? Within my heart. So when a person says, how do you know? How do you know that Christ is risen? How do you know that you that call yourself Christ followers possess the truth about life? How do you know? Well, I know, I know because he lives within my heart. And I'm not trying to minimize that as being a strong evidentiary base for our trust, our faith, our way of life. But... Frankly, it has its own inherent weaknesses because a Muslim who just committed jihad would say the same thing. I know because Allah lives in my heart. Uh, a Hindu could say the same thing. One of my 330 million goddesses and gods live in my heart. Anyone could say that. It's purely experiential. It, it's not that it doesn't have some truth to it. It's just that there's more truth that we can base our trust on than that. Uh, some of you know me that, that I've done extensive teaching in the past on uh, many of the evidences, whether it's, you know, archaeology, whether it's the, the, the prophecies of the Bible, whether it's the manuscript evidence, whether it's the uh, evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. There's lots of pieces of hardcore compelling evidence that we are walking in the truth, we are facing the truth, and adjusting to it intelligently as Christ followers. But we're going to take this different approach in this series, and so... If your answer, if somebody asks you, how do you know that this Christian walk of yours is the truth? How, how do you know that it's trustworthy? How do you know that it's rational? If all that you and I can say is, well, I just know because I just feel it. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying there's something more than that. And I hope as this series ends, you'll have a, a new level of confidence that we, we of all people are the rugged realist. We are facing reality. We are the rational realist. And we are not those that are seeking somebody to rescue us. And so we're just plunging into fantasy. Now, to challenge this thought, listen to the words of a man named Sam Harris. He's an author. Oh, it went too fast. <laughs> He's an author, philosopher, and an outspoken atheist. And of course, most famously, he looks a lot like Ben Stiller. But he's not. He's not funny at all. <laughs> Listen to his words. Before I present some of my reasons for rejecting your faith, and he's talking to Christians, which are also my reasons for believing that, that you too should reject it, I want to acknowledge that there are a few things that you and I agree about. We agree that if one of us is, what is the word? Right. right, then the other is what? Now, I really like this about Sam Harris because unfortunately today, we live in a day and age where the average person that you and I will converse with, their attitude towards spiritual matters is this, is that it's kind of this spiritual smorgasbord. It's like, hey, you know, you want a little Hinduism, that's cool if it floats your boat. You want a little Islam, you want some Christianity. It doesn't really matter. It's just a smorgasbord. Nobody knows the truth. It doesn't really matter. But that is not at all what this book says and Sam Harris understands. He says, somebody's right in this thing. Somebody's wrong. He goes on. The Bible is either the word of God or it isn't. Either Jesus offers humanity the one true path to salvation. John 14, 6. He knows John 14, 6, this atheist, or he does not. The fact that my continuous and public rejection of Christianity does not worry me in the least should suggest to you just how inadequate I think your reasons for being a Christian are. 
By the way, if some of you look him up on YouTube and he says some things that sound, you know, like it really can tear Christianity down. His arguments are so easy to answer for somebody that's well-versed, for somebody that knows context. In fact, it's, it's almost embarrassing the way he constructs some of his arguments if you really know context in Scripture and historic backgrounds and so forth. But he can really be alarming to people that don't know the Word of God and historic Christian faith. He goes on. It's difficult to imagine a set of beliefs more suggestive of mental illness than those that lie at the heart of many of our religious traditions. It is time that we admitted that faith is nothing more than the license, the license religious people give one another to keep believing when what? What does it say? When reasons fail. It's Sam Harris's way of saying he thinks that people that trust in Christ in particular that we're lunatics, that our faith doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of being reasonable, that reasonable thinking, intelligent people would never walk into this thing called following Christ in life. That's Sam Harris's argument. So we want to consider this, and we want to consider it really, real seriously, and we're just going, like I say, we're going to set the Bible aside. We're going to follow a path using just our ability to observe and reason, but then we're going to compare what we find, what we discover, with what the Bible says. So to get ourselves started, let's ask this big question. It's, it's the big one. Is there, is there a God? I mean, everybody has to answer that at some point in life. Is there or is there not a God? And to help us in thinking this through, there's two questions I want to ask. The first one is this. Why is there anything instead of nothing? In other words, we, we are surrounded by, you know, lots of objects and living beings and all kinds of things and planets and galaxies. Why, where did it all come from? That's the other way we could ask it. Where did everything come from? Why is it here? Where did everything come from? Now, if you ask the Sam Harris's of the world and lots of other very, very intelligent people, scientifically minded people, they will, for the most part today, say that, well, everything pretty much came from something called the Big Bang, not to be confused with Sheldon and Leonard. How many of you watch the Big Bang? That's not the thing. It's the theory behind and the Big Bang, it kind of goes like this, that uh, the Hubble telescope, you know, got up there and they could observe some outline radiation throughout the universe and they could see some things with planetary movement. And essentially what they've discovered is this. The universe is expanding outward. Pretend that I, I had a little bomb right here. I don't, I shouldn't say the word bomb anywhere, anytime, but, but just, just pretend I had something, a balloon. I had a balloon and glued to the balloon were little dots. And so as I, and I blow the balloon up, the dots on the balloon keep expanding out. Well, that's what they found about the universe, that the universe is expanding out. And the further out you get, the faster it's expanding out. So what they did is they said, okay, if it's expanding out like this, we can time it. We can go back in time. And what they found using the Hubble telescope is that, okay, it all must have started about 13 billion point eight years ago, which means, and this was good news for Christians, they acknowledged there was a time when there was nothing. There was a time when there was no time. There was no time and there was no anywhere. There was nothing. How do you, how do you define nothing? You ever think about that? How do you describe nothing? Nothing is just nothing. Well, the Big Bang Theory says 
that at one point there was nothing and there was no time, but all of a sudden there was this kind of an explosion and everything started expanding out and everything that we see, everything that we experience, all living beings, everything in the universe, it all came from the Big Bang, but it doesn't answer the question, where did it all come from and why did this happen? And how could it happen? How can something come from nothing? Now, there's other theories today. They have uh, oscillating universe theories, and they have multiverse theories, and they have string theory theories, um, and, and super string theories. And they have all these theories about why there's something instead of nothing. But here's the one thing that all these theories have in common. Every single one of them. They start with the idea that everything came from nothing. Now, some of them try to stay with a steady state, and they say, well, everything has always been here. There's always been matter. There's always been energy. But that doesn't work with what we can observe again through the Big Bang and the Hubble and so forth, even though some of them with the oscillating universe try to find a way to make that work. The other thing that all these theories today have in common is this. They never even give a single consideration, any consideration, that there could be an intelligent being behind this, that there could be a creator. So, the people like the Sam Harrises and many other intelligent people, I'm not trying to mock anybody or make fun of anybody, they believe wholeheartedly that everything came from nothing for no reason. If we were to look at this in kind of an equation form, uh, it would look like this. Everything came from nothing for no reason. So, zero plus zero in this equation equals what? everything now you know you and I went to school and we know it kind of really works like this zero plus zero equals what zero okay but but what if you multiply it how about if you multiply zero times zero do you get everything what do you get nothing you cannot get away from this now I know what some of you are thinking and I know what some of these atheist minded people are thinking they say well, yeah, yeah, but where did God come from? Where did God come from? We'll get to that, I promise you, we will. We'll get to that. And you will not be satisfied with the answer but it is the most reasonable answer to reality as we see it that there is. So, here's the problem we have. We have people that are saying that the smartest, the best and the brightest believe that the way, the most rational, reasonable way to look at life is that everything is a complete accident. So that would mean that for example, if you were to take the novel War and Peace, which has about a half a million words in it, 587,000 some words, War and Peace, Tolstoy's novel, the largest novel that's ever been written. If you were to take that in their theory, and if you were to take all the individual words, 587,000 and some words, you take all these individual words out and you put them in a bucket or something and you shake it around. You just keep twirling that bucket. If you twirl it for enough billion years and then you stop it and let it all fall out, out would come War and Peace, the novel. How many of you believe that you could twirl it for 13.8 billion years or you could twirl it for 26.8 billion years and when you dumped it out, it's not going to be war and peace? How many would agree that reasonable people know better than that? Can I see your hands? It's not going to happen. And yet, they want people to believe that that is reasonable. There's a guy named Fred Hoyle and... Interesting British astronomer, mathematician, cosmologist, wrote a book, uh, Evolution from Space. He believes in something called panspermia, which just kind of takes back. He believes that, you know, debris from meteorites and comets deposited things on Earth, and uh, it became this primordial soup, and eventually out comes life, and we'll talk about that a bit. But he says some interesting things. 
Hoyle calculated that the chances of obtaining the required set of enzymes for even the simplest living cell was 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. That's one followed by 40,000 zeros. Since the number of atoms in the known universe is infinitesimally tiny by comparison, only 10 or 1,080, uh, even a whole universe full of primordial soup wouldn't have a chance. This man's an atheist. He's not a believer. And he came to the conclusion that this could not happen, that life could not have accidentally occurred even on this planet. Just couldn't happen. Just not enough time. He goes on. His own words, the random emergence of even the simplest cell. The simplest cell would be as likely as a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. He said it, not a Christian. He said it. And yet, we're told we're being irrational. We're, we're scared children. We, we need to be rescued. We're running from reason. Doesn't make sense to me. Okay, let's just use some reason. When you see a house, what is the most likely occurrence? That it just popped up overnight. It just sprung up. It just happens sometimes. Sometimes a house just springs up. <laughs> or that somebody built it with thought and plan and skill. We could apply it to a car. We could apply it to your watch. We could apply it to your telephone. We could apply it to your computer. We know this. When you just take observation and reason... We know this makes sense. But to tell me that everything with all its complexity came from nothing for no reason, that does not make sense. So this is a, the thing we're, we're stuck with. It's one of the two. You can't have it both ways. It's either an accident or this. Someone with great intelligence and power and purpose created everything. And if you just use pure powers of observation and reason, that's the conclusion you come to. Because you and I know that every complex thing that we see, it took somebody with intelligence and purpose of mind to bring it to existence. Let me go further. When we see anything living, we know that another living thing had to bring it into existence. We do not see living things just spontaneously popping, to, popping into existence from dead things, from dead chemicals. Again, we're just using observation and reason. So I'm about to blow up again. I don't know why. Uh, let me see what's going on here. I'm just electrifying. That's what it is. <laughs> So, we happen to be privileged to live in a day and age where many theories that would have been accepted years back all of a sudden come under a different kind of scrutiny because we're learning so much so fast. One of the big breakthroughs has come with, with DNA. You know, we, we're able to look inside the human cell now and we're able to, to, to map the whole human genome. Uh, Francis Collins did this back in around 2000. But this gives us something that's quite a different picture. For example, if you look at this little diagram, that's, that's like a picture of a program of what the DNA would look like in our cells. It's a combination of A, G, C, and T. Uh, it, they, they all mean different things. It's guanine and uh, adenine and uh, cytostine and something or else. Uh, thymine is what they are. Neither you or I probably know what the heck all that means. But in your cell are these endless combinations. Now, here's why this is interesting. Listen to a quote, Francis Collins, the director of the Human Genome Project that mapped the human DNA structure. 
He said that one can think of DNA as an instructional what? Script. A software what? Program sitting in the nucleus of the cell. Now, if you're going to have a software program, you had to have a program what? Yeah. It doesn't just pop there. Somebody had to prepare it. Listen to this quote. Former atheist, Dr. Anthony Flew, question, is it legitimate to ask oneself regarding this three, how many? Three billion letter code instructing the cell. In, in one cell in your body, in my body, one cell, we have three billion pieces of DNA code. Three billion letter code instructing the cell. He asks, who wrote this script? Who placed this working code inside the cell? Now, again, we're, we're, we either believe that it all happened by accident, and that goes contrary to everything we can observe. We know that somebody's writing a computer program. We know that it took somebody to put it together. It either happened by accident or somebody with great intelligence, extraordinary intelligence, did it. Let me show you a little interesting comparison here. What you're looking at is something that doesn't exist anymore, the Encyclopedia Britannica. They, they went out of business in 2012. <laughs> but if you could take 12 full sets... Uh, 32 volumes each, the same amount of information as contained in each cell. Imagine this. In one cell, most cells, you have to use a microscope, very high power. They're, they're not visible to the naked eye. Every once in a while, you can see one cell. It's about like a hair's width. But in one cell, that's how many pieces of code and information DNA deposits in one cell. It would be like walking through the jungle and stumbling upon you're, you're from a, maybe a primitive tribe, and so you don't know what you're looking at, but you walk through the jungle, and you find 12 sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, you may not know much, but you know it didn't just pop into existence. You look at it, you open the pages, and, oh, it has markings. We, we do markings, too, in our tribe, you know. So information of this volume in one cell, it screams of an intelligent creator and it is irrational it is utterly a divorce from reason to think that this could ever happen by accident so where does this lead us where does this take us to next it gets us to the question well if there is a someone who created everything for a purpose what would this someone be like now Let's ask some questions. You have a brain. I have a brain. It's three pounds. It's mostly water, about 70% water. It sloshes around if you get hit pretty hard. In that brain of yours, though, you have a thousand trillion. I don't even know how to look at a number like that. A thousand trillion synaptic connections. So when you're thinking, these things are firing in all different directions. A thousand trillion. Let me tell you what a thousand trillion is like. We, we have 200 billion stars just in our Milky Way galaxy. 200 billion stars. Add the planets that surround each star. It's an enormous number. You have more going on in your little three-pound brain than all the stars and planets in the Milky Way galaxy. That is something kind of profound. We just saw that you have this enormous amount of information crammed. You talk about nanotechnology. We're just scratching the surface of nanotechnology. Somebody really, really knew nanoengineering to put all this information 
that is in DNA in a human cell. So who is this somebody? Who is this somebody that can create a universe that has 200 billion galaxies? Okay, our Milky Way has 200 billion stars in it, but there are 200 billion galaxies, each having about 200 billion stars in it. Who has the power, the vast, enormous power to cast something like this out in all of its complexity? And then who has the power and the genius to get so tiny into nanosphere to create the complexity that resides inside our brain or even inside a single cell? What kind of a being, what kind of a being are we dealing with? This tells us a lot about the power, the intelligence, and if we start with the premise that we don't believe it makes sense that everything came from nothing for no reason. It makes a whole lot more sense to think that someone with great reason, great purpose, created everything. Well, then you get the notion that this someone, this first cause, this first cause has to be somehow eternal, outside of time, before anything, always existent, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. We can deduce these things just using observation and reason. We haven't even cracked a Bible at all yet. What kind of a being would it be? Well, where might we look for this information? We've already checked in the out, outside sources in, in the universe as well as on the inside sources in ourselves. Uh, let's go on and ask this question. What is the very highest life form we might observe? I mean, there's all kind of life on the planet. You have bacteria, that, that's a living. You have plants, you know, you have insects. You have animals of various sorts. How many have a dog in here? You got, you got a dog? Yeah, I mean, they're wonderful. Dogs, they're, they're just about the best. Um, how many love your dog? Can I see your hands? Okay. Dog loves you too, unconditionally. Pretty, pretty close to unconditional love. But... If you want to tell a story to your dog, does your dog care? If you get excited about your football team and you want to share that excitement with your dog, does your dog care? No. If you, if you just read this, this amazing novel and you want to share that with your dog, your dog doesn't care. <laughs> now, if we're going to look for the highest life form, we have to look at what? Humans. Humans, if we're going to find out who this mysterious, amazing, just breathtaking someone is, we've got to look at the highest life form available, and that is you. I've already told you just a tiny bit about this brain of yours, about, about you know, your DNA, but there's so much more. L listen, think about the capacities for pleasure, pleasure that you have. You can look at a sunset and just be filled with awe. You can look at a mountain. You can look at a waterfall. You can look at a beach. You can look at crystal clear blue water. You can look at nature. You can look at animals. And, and you're filled with some kind of a feeling you can't quite explain. You can watch a sad movie and you can cry or a funny movie and you can laugh. You never get enough of observing the stories of other human beings. You, you love them. We, we absorb them and we get pleasure from them. How about human touch? can't quite explain it. Somebody just puts a hand on your shoulder or on your arm. You can't quite explain it. How about, 
How about when somebody says something kind to you, something affirming to you, something loving to you, something that expresses affection? How about that feeling that you get when you know someone else has affection for you or admiration for you or respect for you or they just like being around you? Where does this come from? Where do these capacities for pleasure come from? I haven't even touched on things like, you know, smell. I mean, it, it's wonderful. Oh, man, you smell an apple pie. You know, it's wonderful. You love it. You know, what about sight? The things that we can see, the things that we, the joy we get from the visual. What, what about taste? Wouldn't it be something? If, if everything that you ate just tasted like dirt. Uh, now, now, we'd all probably be in a lot better shape. Uh, you know. <laughs> But this being, you got to get this, this, this being, this being is so, he is so incredibly sensitive. He put taste buds in us because he wanted us to have pleasure just ingesting food, physical senses. I don't want to get crude with you, but, 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 but the truth is, even sex, it's, it's something God created. If it hurt real terribly all the time, there wouldn't be many of us around, right? I'm not trying to be crude, but... I mean, these are pleasurable capacities that this being, we can look at ourselves and we can learn a lot about this being. Let me go further. We, we know, we know, and we, debates about this just so forth. We know that a dishonest person is undesirable and an honest person is desirable. In other words, we know honesty is desirable dishonesty is not we know that cruelty is undesirable we know that kindness is desirable we know that fairness is desirable we know that prejudice is not desirable i could go on and on where where do we get this sense from and if we feel this way then whoever this creator is has to be all that at the highest level i mean i can imagine and you can imagine how many have ever met a really really nice person in your life somebody just say oh my goodness they are, they are just the nicest most wonderful person how many got somebody like that in your life okay for you that don't sorry about you <laughs> <laughs> but you can still use your imagination and i can use my imagination and i can take that person that's so nice so incredibly wonderful that i love being around them and yet i know i can imagine somebody being even better than that this creator who has given all these capacities for feeling and sense and enjoyment and pleasure he must have those same senses but they must be higher and more refined this being that has given us the capacity to understand good from evil and to see it for what it is, he must be so above it because evil is inferior. It's always destructive. It's just taking away from good. Evil can't live without good. It just, provide, it just gets his life from good. So whoever this creator is, he would be too intelligent to be evil at all because evil is stupidity. Evil is destructive. So can you see that just by looking at ourselves, we can tell so much about... Folks, I'm going to just tell you, I, I've, I've pretty much just described to you Jesus Christ. We're, we're talking about a perfect being, a being that is so full of love, so full of goodness, so full of unselfishness, because we know that unselfishness is better than selfishness. We have deduced, we have used observation, and we have used reason, and we have come up with not just a creator, but we have come up with a stunningly beautiful creator worthy of excitement worthy of adoration and we haven't even opened a bible all we've done 
is think. And I think this is a really worthwhile exercise. Now what I want to do, I want to open the Bible. And let's compare what we have concluded with what the Bible says. The book of Romans, chapter 1. It's going to be here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, people living as though God doesn't exist, and unrighteousness, people living wrongly as though they don't know what's right, of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because what can be known, what can be known about God is, what does it say? Plain to them. It's plain. He's saying you can't miss it. What may be known about God is plain to them. Folks, we're talking without a Bible here. Because God has what? He's made it plain. We just went through an exercise. It's plain. It goes on. It gets even better. It does, I promise you. This is fascinating. One switched and one didn't. Okay, okay, now we're, now we're, we're on sync, all right. For since the creation of the world, his what kind of attributes? Invisible attributes. Keep that in mind. Invisible, invisible attributes. His eternal power, first cause. There has to be a first cause of everything because something doesn't come from nothing for no reason. His eternal power and his divine nature have been, what, is that, what does that say? Have been what? Clear. Wait, 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 wait. How do you clearly see something that's this? In, what does it say? Invisible attributes clearly seen. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? How many of you can see invisible things? Please don't tell me you can't. <laughs> his invisible attributes are clearly seen. But wait, how, how, how are they clearly seen? Have been clearly seen because they are understood, understanding by objective observation and reasoning. That's what understanding means. Objective observation of reality and reasoning. God wants us to develop these capacities. They are understood through what has, what does it say? Been made. We just went through it. We just observed the universe has been made. We just observed humanity has been made. We went into the cell. We went into the vastest parts of the universe. And we see the awesomeness. We see there's every reason to believe that he's there. It is much more reasonable to believe that he's there and that he's utterly wonderful than it is to believe that he is not there. And he says that we know better. He says this. He says, because they're understood through what has been made. So people are, what does it say? Without excuse. It goes on. It does, I promise you. Or it doesn't. Okay, it does. <laughs> For although they knew God, you know, God, God is saying, you know, when, when people say, oh, I don't know if God's there or not, you know, I, I'm just not sure, or God's not there at all. You know, I don't see him, therefore he's not there. God's saying, you're just joking, you're just kidding yourself. You know better and I know better is what he's saying. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were what? Darkened. These bright people today, they come up with these theories, oscillating universe, string theory, super string theory, multiverses, all these theories. They never give consideration that a supreme being could be there. 
they find they're desperate to find some reason for everything by leaving him out and their senseless hearts were darkened it goes on I promise you it does it's going to go on or do I need to go to my Bible okay all right although they claim to be wise today they claim to be very wise the Sam Harris's and so on they became what fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling a mortal human being. We become worshipers of ourselves and our ideas and our theories. Or we get worse. We start worshiping animals, birds, four-footed animals, animal, reptiles. This is, uh, you know, worshiping things, persons, places, and things. And then it finally says this. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it stops at verse 23. It does. It does. It does. It stops at verse 20. Okay. So, we took a journey using nothing more than observation, okay, and reasoning. And isn't it fascinating? We came to the same place that the Bible says. God says, we know this. We see his invisible attributes by what is made. He says, I made it plain. I made it plain to everybody. Without the Bible, plain, plain to everybody. The very character of Jesus Christ, we have deduced it tonight like a bunch of detectives in this room and I think this should give you great confidence great confidence that we walk in truth this guy named Jay Warner Wallace and he is a rather well-known uh, cold case detective and he served for many many years he's been on TV uh, they've had some of his cases on TV and he wrote some wonderful books and I urge you buy some of these books they are a little complicated that one right there God's crime scene I'm going to give you a little excerpt from it here just in a second. Um, if you are interested in these matters like I've talked about and you'd like to take it deeper, his books will help you to do that. But he tells about a story when he was a young newbie cop, a, new, a newbie detective, and he went to his first uh, crime scene where there was a death. This lady named Kathy Matthews had called the police. She was in quite a panic. She had went over to her dad's house. Dad's name was Richard. And she looked in through the, the door and she could see her father was laying dead in his, you know, uh, lounger chair, his arms spread back, and she could see that his head was opened up on top. Uh, she was afraid to go in, so she called the police. The police came. They all gathered at the door, but nobody dared go in until Alan Jeffries, the senior officer, the senior detective, arrived on the scene. Now, this J. Warner Wallace, this newbie detective, he started talking to Kathy Matthews and started getting information, and what he found is that her dad had just recently been diagnosed with liver cancer. And so it certainly looked as though something had happened from within the house. You see, every time a, a detective goes to a, a crime scene, a homicide detective anyway, they ask three questions. Did this, did this happen by natural causes? Four questions. Did this happen by natural causes or could it have been an accident? So the man could have died heart attack or he could have died by an accident or... Could he have possibly committed suicide? Or is it a homicide? Crime scene detectives, homicide detectives, they want to know one of these four things. So he's looking in, he's talking to Kathy Matthews, he's piecing it together. He had this liver cancer, he was quite discouraged. And so he starts thinking, you know, the TV was blaring, they could hear it through the door, it was very loud. He starts thinking, this really is looking like a suicide. He was depressed and he must have killed himself. Well, finally, Alan Jeffries, the senior detective, comes and he says, don't anybody go in the room. He says, whatever you do, be very careful. Stay behind me because we have a homicide here. How did he know? 
How did he, why did he see something that the rest of them didn't see? What was he reasoning? What was he observing? What was he reasoning and deducing that the others did not see with his experienced eyes? You see, it initially, it looked like a suicide. The man's laying there, top of his head is opened up. There was a gun laying on the floor beside him. It certainly looked like a suicide. He was discouraged because of his diagnosis. But when they got in, Alan Jeffries, the senior detective, he tells him, he says, you be very careful now. You be very careful where you stand because this is a homicide. First of all, the man was recording a TV show. Secondly, he says the man's right-handed because his glasses and a glass of water was sitting on the right hand. The gun was on the left side. The angle of the shot indicated that it was not done with the right hand. He later on found out that the man never owned a gun. And then he found something that nobody else saw. He found a tiny little speck of mud. He traced it to the outside. He finally traced it to the curb where he found a full case uh, or shell casing there at the curb. The same caliber that was using the gun. They found out indeed what looked like a suicide up through here had opened. It was not a suicide at all. You just needed to observe things and reason with things just a little bit further. Sometimes when we hear people challenge, challenge our faith, mock us, make fun of us, you know, you Christians are a bunch of scared children. You need somebody to rescue you. You're, you're not reasonable people. You don't think through things. It can be impressive. You get online and you hear some of the arguments that some of these atheists give. It can be a little scary and rattle you. But you've got to be willing to go deeper. I told you, one of my goals in the series for at least a few of you in here is to teach you a different way to think, a way that if you learn how to think this way, it will take you deep in God. I took you deep in that passage. You see, you can read that Romans passage, and it says, oh, everything is made plain to them by everything is made. And you can say, okay, it just says that we look at creation and we know back out. But no, 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 I took you deep. I said, what about a human's ability for pleasure? What about this pleasure? What about that pleasure? And by that, we went deeper and deeper and deeper until we came out and I could have taken you further yet with the very character of Christ. I hope that some of you will learn a different way of thinking. More importantly, I hope you will all live with a courageous faith. And I hope that if you know anyone that is struggling with matters of reason and the reasonableness of this truth we walk in, that you might invite them to see this message. It'll be online or to invite them to the rest of the series because we're going to take this same track right through this series. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are extremely grateful to know that you are a God that is so kind, so good, so powerful, so wise, so altogether extraordinary, so beyond what we can ask or think. Our lives are in good hands. Our world is in good hands. Our universe is in good hands. We welcome the thought of your kingdom coming and your will to be done, and we know that it will come to pass. May you give us strength. May you give us courage. May you... Help us to see those in our spheres of influence that might be open to a reasonable dialogue and discourse that we might help them to know your goodness. Strengthen us all, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.